Yo, this is Nang, the No Appearances, No Goals podcast, where we talk about football and some of the key issues around the game. Um, today we're going to talk about players taking a knee and the impact of a, a number of clubs, including Millwall's fans booing their players taking a knee. And also going to touch on some of the key games this weekend, including the North London derby. So, what's going on, boys? Evening, chaps. How are we doing? All good, lads. Missed you all week. So I think, well, there's probably only one place to start, really, and that's um, at Colchester. Um, or look, the, the look on Abel's face tells me he's a bit confused, but the same thing that happened at Millwall also happened at Colchester, Abel. So, you know, given your look of disapproval, we can start at Millwall, if you like. <laughs> I'll go on my laptop and find out what happened at Colchester. <laughs> and, uh, Elmo... Um, yeah, for, purely for Abel, can you remind us what happened at Colchester? And this is only just for Abel. Well, it, it's actually really interesting. I, I saw um, <clears throat> an interview that Troy Deeney said, and he said um, when, when they got together, when all the Premier League captains got together in the summer, and they spoke about um, ha- uh, having the Black Lives Matter sort of logo on the shirts and taking a knee and stuff, they all agreed, actually, it's fine and it's easy to do it when there's no one in the stadium, but it should be continued when fans um, get a chance to return again. And lo and behold, they get a chance to return. And um, a club with no track record of sort of um, uh, misbehaviour or bad press or anything, the players take the knee and uh, the fans start to boot. And not all the fans, there were only 2,000 in there, but... It has to be. You, can, you have to say it's a representative sample. Um, and so, um, yeah, and that created a lot of uh, headlines and angst. The same thing happened at Colchester and the same thing did not happen at Queen's Park because Les Ferdinand some time ago said uh, QPR players didn't sort of see a point in taking a knee anymore. So it's actually, we could have a, a really interesting... Um, debate about all three see that's quite interesting because my understanding in terms of the qpr situation it was an executive a decision made at executive level that a player shouldn't do it because basically Fernand was kind of saying it was a nice gesture but what's really changed so like we shouldn't do this anymore and that's interesting in the sense that kind of like i think in general it should be a matter of conscience so in a sense kind of if other clubs that are doing it are the players actually, do the actual players actually have choice to do it or isn't either that's come from the top down? And by that, I mean, basically, are there players in the clubs who wouldn't want to do it before they don't have to? In the same way that there might be QPR players who wanted to take the knee, but they're being told to not, but not to by their club. It's quite interesting. Do you think that it should be something that's top down or do you think it should be a matter of individual conscience? I think it should be a matter of individual mm-hmm. conscience. I don't think anyone telling someone if they should or should protest, it sort of sort of negates the idea of a protest. Protests are sort of spontaneous acts of, you know, standing up, or in this case, taking a knee for something they believe in. So if it's like this whole, I'm for Black Lives Matter and I'm more for sort of the players taking a knee, but it sort of irks me when it's like the players take the knee, sponsored by Sky Sports. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's that sort of, corporatization the sanitization of you know of a movement which sort of is still to this day you know 
rankles with me. Yeah, I know what you mean. I kind of agree in a sense that kind of, to me, when everyone does it, and as you say, kind of the corporatization of it, it does feel a bit quite performative. And this is kind of, this seems like an empty gesture, but kind of what's behind that in terms of, okay, people taking a knee, what is going to change? What's the action? It just feels like it's a gesture. It's a nice, easy, simple gesture that's just kind of, that makes it look like you stand for nothing or maybe not stand for anything considering you're on your knee, but it doesn't really mean anything. Do you get what I mean? Yeah, also the question is what has actually happened other than taking knee? What has the governing bodies done? You know, what's the FA? What has, you know, the kick it outs or the PFA and all these sort of bodies involved in football? What have they, you know, what sort of legislation or, or anything they've put forward to progress this other than players taking knee and Sky Sports having a sort of banner on the top of the screen that says Black Lives Matter? Because I, I, yeah. I haven't seen or read anything. I, I may, maybe just be me, but I haven't seen anything sort of <clears throat> legible that is, is going to happen or happening right now. I mean, if you know, I know you've mentioned Sky a few times, Yusuf, but you can see now that Sky are making a bit more of a conscious effort to include a black pundit every game. That 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 that's not an accident, is it? You can't have you can't have your cake and eat it. You can't say it doesn't mean anything, and then sort of people get upset when it gets booed, and at the same time say um, there's freedom. There should be a freedom to kind of express yourself and then when some Ben uh Millwall fans express themselves there's outrage like this whole thing is a bit inconsistent like it either means something or it doesn't mean something you should do it or you shouldn't do it you should force people to do it or you shouldn't force people or or, or not do you see what I mean like as a matter of fact this whole thing that's kicked off actually shows that it does mean something Les Ferdinand and the rest of them did a quite a quick about turn, actually, and now they're going to sort of take the knee again. Do you see what I mean? And the fact that it's corporate, it's been sort of corporatized, if that is even a word, <clears throat> is that really a bad thing? Like, you need it to be out there mm. and people to be talking about it and people to recognise it. And Abel's point about sort of um, more diverse pundits is probably an example of that. Like, didn't they, didn't they make quite big changes, Sky, to their um, to their soccer Saturday. Saturday? Yeah, Soccer Saturday. Um, I don't know. I, I, it's a different debate, I know, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but, like, you, you need it to be out there. You can't have your cake and eat it. Do, do you see what I mean? Yeah, see, my thing is, like, corporations, at the end of the day, corporations stand for nothing but their bottom line. So the fact of the matter is kind of, like, I don't think that... For example, it being fair enough, they can bring kind of, they can bring awareness to the message. Yes, that is true. But the fact is, Sky doesn't care about these kind of things. Sky care about their bottom line. Like, yes, I do agree that having a more diverse kind of pundit list is a good thing. But at the same time, kind of, to me, those are like, that's a decent change, but it's a lot bigger than that. Do you get what I mean? To me, it should be in terms of kind of representation at management level representation on governing body level those are the kind of concrete changes and don't get me wrong pundit is a change it's a small change it's a step in the right direction there has to be more than that and to me to be honest oh. with you go on Abel. no i was gonna say don't get me wrong that's not me saying sky have done their bit what they're doing but i'm just saying that sky have you know have started to or they've made a more of a conscious effort to have more representation but i don't think you should stop there because the pundit unless it's like the key pundit like you got your Gary Neville. If it's just one of those side pundits who make an appearance now and again, 
I don't think it's enough. Or they have to make the presenter, the anchor of the show, or someone who represents, you know, uh, you know, all forms of diversity. How can you represent all forms of diversity? You know, you know what I mean, like all ethnic backgrounds. Oh no, I'm, I'm just thinking of like the ultimate diverse you person. Want, you, want a, you want a black Jewish homosexual? Um, can you chuck Who in? Um, who's who's blonde chuck... and happens to be Nigerian? That's yeah, he's also he's also a vegan, and um, is is left and also right in their political leanings. I think that's Elmo. Yeah, I mean, sorry, Mac, you were going to say something. That's no, interesting. Yeah, I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, this is what I wasn't going to say, but what do you guys think about a lot of people seem to have made a distinction? Because I don't know if you saw George Eustace, the government minister, he wouldn't condemn the Millwall fans of ruin. And essentially what he was saying is that people have a legitimate, can legitimately boo Black Lives Matter. In a sense, I'm trying to make a distinction between Black Lives Matter as a political organisation and racial equality. And what do you guys think about that? I mean, for me, for my thing, I think it's a bit of a cop-out. And I think it's just a, it's an easy way to kind of justify what we know at Millwall historically and currently is a racist club. What do you think about people who try to make that distinction as a reason to kind of not, basically not condemn the actions or basically just to make a distinction between the organisation and the overall, I guess, game. Like overall, I guess, like, ethos, if you get what I mean. I think... George Eustace, Member of Parliament, is a dickhead. Um, I also think he's pushing not only his line, but more importantly, the Tory party line on Black Lives Matter. Because I remember, uh, who's that other dickhead politician? Kemi, Kemi Badenoch? Kemi Badenoch, yeah. Yeah, she's, she literally said in the House of Commons, uh, Black Lives Matter, capital B, capital L, capital M which was paraphrased by George Eustace. So it just seems in that sort of, in a, well, not in a circle, but in the Tory party, Black Lives Matter is, is seen as a, you know, instead of, you know, fighting, you know, trying to progress Black people and trying to get everything more diverse and for all the good Black Lives Matter doing, they are just labelling them as a political movement. And so that's the best way to, Get rid of them, sweep them on the carpet, fob them off, snub them as a political movement. You know, Keir Starmer did the same. So it's not just a Tory thing. Do you get what I mean? Keir Starmer, Keir Starmer essentially did exactly the same thing in terms of kind of trying to distance himself. So it's not, it's obviously just a mainstream politics angle as opposed to just being a Tory specific thing. But why are these politicians distancing themselves from it? This is, this is an important matter. I agree. I, I think that, that there's a couple of reasons why they're distancing. Firstly, it's expediency yeah and they're trying to sort of gerrymander or sort of change the goalposts and and that's because um i think to a lot of people that they could support them or do support them or whatever like a lot of people actually are still a bit confused about what black lives matter actually means and what it sort of stands for and by having somebody who's you know articulate and is in public life and whatever and he comes out and says yeah, I mean, I'm all for diversity. I'm just not for Black Lives Matter. Do you see what I mean? It's it's a way of kind of muddying the waters and sort of trying to undermine um, undermine the movement. And that's just because they feel like they can do that because it's not as uh, well articulated as some people think and therefore not as accessible as some other people think. Like, for example, I remember having this discussion with somebody 
over a year, like maybe two years ago. And their response to me was, all lives matter. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's, yeah, but that's not what I'm saying. But that's the way they took it. Do you see what I mean? And so, you know, that's, yeah, that's a standard retort, though, isn't it? Yeah. So it's exclusive to them. They feel it's exclusive. And it could be because they want it to be exclusive or they just don't understand. Or you have people like whatever his name is, knob jockey, whatever, MP, coming out and trying to muddy the waters. But like what cannot be misunderstood is that it came out of Millwall and they have a track record of this type of behavior and worse, right? And one of the things that I'm a little bit annoyed about is people say, oh, well, it's only a, a small number of fans. It doesn't represent like Millwall's got a track record of this. Yeah. Only 2000 fans out of, I don't know how many thousand were allowed to go and you heard significant boost. Yeah. Like that's to me, that's like doing a sample, right? Unless they pick the 2000 most uh, fans with the strongest views. Do you see what I mean? So let's just mm. call it what it is. Millwall is a racist club. Yeah. And mm. there's racism running through the culture and the, and the philosophy of that club. And, and the reason why I brought up Colchester, because the same thing happened at Colchester. And you look at the, the response from the Colchester chairman, which is, uh, and it feeds into some of the points we made earlier about choice and freedom of expression and stuff. He said, that's fine. If you want to boo, that's fine, but you're not welcome because this is what Black Lives Matter means. or And this is what, not uh, Black Lives Matter, sorry. This is what taking the knee is about. And we have to recognise that there are some people that are privileged and some are not, yeah? And so I'm happy to give you money back. That was a really very different response from Millwall's response about, oh, their diversity training or whatever e-learning that they've got going yeah, on. Yeah, that, that was just a bunch of like, like uh, exactly. just and just... and um and actually you can act, again. I mm. want to bring Les Ferdinand and QPR back into this. Why did they want to do this all of a sudden? I thought it wasn't a big deal. See, I I, I don't I agree in the sense that I don't think it's necessarily first. I don't I wouldn't describe it as not a big deal. My I would describe it in terms of actually taking a knee has become almost like an empty gesture. Well, obviously the reason why they feel the need to do it now is because even the idea of an empty gesture, people can't accept it. That's been specifically challenged. So there's a reason why they're going to do it now. It's going to be like, rather, like, if you can't even accept this empty gesture, we're going to reinforce it to make you realise like, this is an issue we do genuinely care about. Do you get what I mean? So I don't think it's like, I don't think they're necessarily saying that it's the most powerful gesture, but it gains power if these people can't even accept it on the most minimal level. Yeah. Do you get me? yeah, to me, it feels like they just made a, 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 an error in the sequencing in that if they were going to say we're not going to do it, they should have said and continue to do that whilst there were no fans. Because that Troy Deeney point about, oh, yeah, we're going to do all this stuff and it's easy to do when there are no fans. But the real test is going to be when there are fans, the first time fans step back in, look what happens. Do you see what well, I mean? did do it when there was no fans. Didn't they did no, not. I, I, that's what I mean. They should have like decided to do it again when there were fans that's my point okay okay yeah but yeah. i was gonna ask you know you know millwall though is millwall a racist football club or is its fan base racist whatever it is millwall have millwall are sort of the archetypal definition of you know football and racism um i don't know about the club i don't know the long history of the club i don't know if there's been race directors um 
racist players, racist managers, etc. But one thing we all know, you know, on just on a pure service level, Millwall is like the club where all this shit happens. Shit goes down at Millwall. It's not, you know, it's not your... They're trying to market themselves as their sort of family-friendly club. But, you know, their long history has... It's just... It's littered with just... But again, oh, their long oh, history... But you say their, their long history is that the club or is that the fan base? How do you distinguish the two, though? Is it like the club's represent... They don't always say that the fans are the representations of the club. There is there is no club without the fans. Don't they, isn't that a line that they try to push? So how do you distinguish that, between the two? That, and the, even... The, even the, the only, the only reason why I say that is because, um, uh, again, so Elmo sent the um, the article during the uh, 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 yesterday about one of the senior pros who stormed into the press room. Um, this senior pro apparently also stormed into the the dressing room at half time. He was pissed. Um, one of the young pros who come on uh, was absolutely hurt by it, and from what I gather. Um, the club have also reached out to the black players in order to offer them more support. And from what I hear as well, the club are actually trying to turn around the um, the reputation that they have, you know, being associated with racism. Yeah, but that that's logical, and they should try to do that. And like, I mean, to, there is a nuance to Abel's question, and you know, Max completely right. Like the the fans make the club right, and. But, but look, look at the response. Look at the look at Colchester's response to the same thing happened, right? Also, you know, West Ham as well, didn't it? Supposedly, did it? Well, so, apparently, yeah. Apparently, yeah. yes. Some, I heard that the, some West Ham fans were booing the um, the knee as well during the uh, United game. Yeah, supposedly, yeah. And that's another club that doesn't have a great racial history, and you haven't even heard anything about that. Mm. And it must be it must be the fans because like you look at where the fans come from, the demographics, the area, the social political type sort of issues. Um, I mean, we were talking about this the other day, like, and there isn't a direct link, but it's just like these are working class uh, clubs with mainly working class sort of football fan base. Um, and but, I, but, I'm not but, but, huh? but the thing is, Elmo, the, the majority of football fans are from a working-class background. It's not just yeah. isolated to those teams. Yeah, but there's a difference. Like, um, I feel like, and I could be wrong, there's a difference to being white working-class in, in London or in and around London as compared to somewhere up north. Do you see what I mean? Like, Why do you say that? Just in terms of um, uh, the fact that you're in a poor community or you're in a, you're you're part of a poor community where like didn't they say um southeast london has the worst educational attainment uh uh rates period right and you look at um it, it's in london literally one of the richest cities in the world um you could argue some people might actually feel like they are minorities in their city like that that that's not a, that's not a phenomenon that white working class people generally experience up north or other parts of the country but um, so that's, not really, that's not really true though because you could have that in birmingham and the irony is for example in those oh. boroughs here like for mm. example in the boroughs that are predominantly that you would say Millwall's fan base come from say like Southwark, greenwich and so on like mm. those those are not 
man, those are not Brent. Those are not Newham. Like, Brent and Newham are the boroughs that have, like, as a white yeah. person, you might feel like a minority. Those kind, yeah. those boroughs are still, like, definitely white majority by a substantial number. Do you get what I mean? It might, fair yeah. enough, there might be a lot of middle-class white people, but they're not, there's not a borough where they should feel like a minority because it's, not, it's nowhere near the case. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but you've got Broccoli and Bromley and... No, but those are still boroughs with, like, white majority <laughs> populations. It's not even, like, narrow. There's a large minority white population. Yeah, but still, yeah. Yeah, so, I, so yeah, I, I was... I specifically didn't mention the borough. I was meant sort of the city. Like, they yeah, were But even in London, like, okay, white working class, you might say you're a minority, but what, like, the majority... I was London, you might say, I think there might be a majority of non-white people in London as a whole. But if you want to talk about South East London, South East London is majority white still. Yeah. yeah. I concur, because I'm currently living in South East London. I will disclose my address at the end of this uh, podcast for if anyone wants to hit me up. But I could actually say, being someone who is brown, I am, you know, the minority, because majority is predominantly white, then this is black. So, you know, that if that fame, fan base for Millwall is coming from the, these areas, these boroughs, and also they're not coming from Southwark or Greenwich, they're coming from like New Eltham or Mottenham or Woolwich or those places like that, which are heavily white, heavily white and working class. Mm. Mm, or even Kent. There might and Kent, people who, and people Kent who, as well. Who used to live in South East London who now live in Kent. Yep. It's a complex picture. It's about like, I, I I mean, I don't know when it was about a year ago, I spoke to like a West Ham fan and he just kept talking about how it's not the same anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like the East End is not the same. And it's that whole thing of new communities coming in and people feeling left out. And actually, it's not just a kind of a white phenomenon. You get it within the ethnic minority sort of communities where you have a new community come in and people feel, oh, you know, at one point, it was, um, I don't know, it was Somalis, then it was somebody else, and it was, do you see what I mean? And so it's like a complex picture, but like that, none of that is actually even relevant because Millwall have a track record of this type of behavior. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but what's interesting, did you guys see the Anton Ferdinand um, documentary? I yeah. did. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Well, enjoy is the, is, is the wrong word. Um, I thought it was a very compelling documentary. It shed a light on the FA in the sense that how they treated John Terry to Anton Ferdinand. And I, I just felt sorry for Anton Ferdinand. He was, as he kept saying, he was the victim. Now, what's crazy was how they've kept the, the recording of um, John Terry's interview, but they didn't keep a recording of Anton Ferdinand. Yeah, those things are really, really powerful. And if for anyone that doesn't really believe that there are biases, like that should be eye-opening. The other thing, like, I'll sort of just let you jump in quickly, Matt. The other thing that I thought was interesting that I never really thought about, but it's probably the most logical thing, is when his brother said that had a really big impact on his career. And I was thinking, what do you mean? And it was like, every single stadium he went to, he got booed, he got abused, he got, do you see what I mean? Like, if you're a football player and you're going to a hostile stadium, you know, you kind of know, it almost seems like a one-off, oh, you're playing against your old team or whatever. But like, for every single stadium, like, yeah, that definitely did have a, a big impact on his career. It's not and even it's that, it's that. also what, it's not, sorry, it's also what Neil Warnock said 
when he was like, because he was the manager at the time, he was like, I noticed a change in you. Everything about your game just went a bit, you know, what was below to what it was before. That's because we all just thought he became shit. Yeah, I thought, he, I thought it was the second come of Titus Bramble. Yeah. <laughs> but that's my thing, though. It's like, yes, like, you could say this is Millwall, this is a Millwall issue, or, do you get what I mean? It's a couple of rogue fans or a rogue club. But don't forget they had the thing about Burnley the other day when they had White Lives Matter. Yeah. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and, like, yeah, yeah. we had a few clubs. You have Colchester, you've had Millwall. And then we, like, even, like, the whole thing about George Eustace not condemning it. Yeah. You got the like Greg Clark thing when he said institutional racism is fluff. Yeah. Then you got the Tories that are literally like making it unlawful to teach like critical race theory in school. Like yeah. this isn't this isn't isolated things. When you put the whole picture together, yeah, it's yeah. kind of like it shows like an overall picture in terms of like not even just in football. And this I'm saying is not a football problem. Society in yeah. this country still has a problem with like discussing race, talking about race, and in and by extension racism. And the way that race can affect people's chances and how unequal yeah. the societies in terms of a racial level. And like this is just like a manifestation of that. Like, yeah. yes, like ignorant views by like working class football fans who feel like they've been done by because they've got like black and brown faces in this in their community is one part of it. But it's a wider issue in terms of like the cover up with Anton Ferdinand thing, the way he was treated, and mm. almost just like people in this country do not want to deal with kind of racism and not even just racism the ramifications of like this country's like this country's endeavors over the last four or five hundred years hmm. like to me it's all part of a bigger thing you can't separate any of them and like hmm. to me that's just like it's just like, yeah it's one part of it but it's all part of this bigger vision until you start addressing that kind of stuff it's not gonna hmm. it's not nothing will really change and that's why i say it's just it's just gestures Okay, part two. On to the games from the weekend. Um, only one place to start, really. The North London Derby. NLD is the new acronym that's being floated around these days. Um, NLD and the VPL. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Find me. A bit of um, a bit of some of that Monday night dirt type humour that we've been looking for, Mac. Um Yusuf, what do you think of the game? Can we not talk about the Arsenal defeat to Tottenham, please? Can we move on to another match? Arsenal lost. Let's move on to uh, Liverpool four, Wolverhampton nil. No, I, th- I think we, we should we should just spend a couple of minutes talking about it, Yusuf. Otherwise, we can get into VAR and sort of Arteta's legacy. Um, okay, okay, let's go, let's go. Um, Arsenal got they got Mourinho'd. Um, mm. What was surprising for me is that for Arteta, for all the talk of him being a, you know, a genius or a tactical innovator or someone who studies the game, studies mm. studies it rigorously, he got mm. beaten by the Jose Mourinho handbook 101, and it's, it was just sad, sad, sad. No creativity, no ideas. We look like mm. David Moyes' Man United. We put in 44 crosses. Um, I mean, Hector Bellerin, I waxed a call about him last week. He had another foul throw. He's had five foul throws this season. 
Uh, I'm not going to get into William because I think he's now. Yeah, but did you see his response to the to the fact like his English is hilarious? <laughs> I've been what, doing this all my life. Hector like, Bellerin, he's he's a proper roadman. <laughs> but like, there's a Spanish twang in there. I just it's it's so funny. Um, all right, two questions, Yusuf. Was that the best system that he could go with, and was that the best if if you could pick the lineup? Is that what you would have gone with? No. I would have played uh, a back three. I would have played AZ mate in Niles. I wouldn't have played Thomas Party. It was almost desperation, him playing Party, And the fact that he got injured, which I think is gonna, he's going to be out longer than he was previously. But that midfield needed legs. We needed um, AZ mate in Niles. I think we needed El Nenny as a sort of calming presence, who is a granite shaker. And I think we needed uh, Joe Willick because I know Joe Willick hasn't really kicked on, but the one thing he does really well is just he gets behind the strikers. He'll get into the box. He can't finish. He can't make an assist. But his presence alone will might have unsettled uh, Tottenham's deep block. And most importantly, I would have um, uh, not started William. In fact, I would have actually sold him before the match because... I, like I said, and I'll say it again, he is possibly the worst Arsenal signing since Andre Santos. Nope, he I is, he is worse Sebastian than. Was pretty bad. Uh, William is worse than Andre Santos. He's the worst Arsenal signing I've ever seen us. Okay. Even worse That's than a bit uh, harsh. even worse than Eagle Stepanops. Sebastian Skilachi. Nope. William William is number one with a bullet. He is. I was going to ask you, Mac. I'm sure you could think of a worse Arsenal signing. William. Sebastian Scalacci. All right, think Hawks, of another one. Hawkshu Young. I don't Oleg, know. Luz, Oleg Luzhny. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the thing about Willian, I mean, I've never really waited Willian. I've never, I've never got it. To me, Willian is just basically like, he's a donkey winger. Yep. And that, like, all he, to me, I don't know, to me, William is like, he's a workhorse. All he can do is, to me, all he can do is carry the ball distance. And to me, that's like his best skill. Like he carried the ball distance and he works hard. But like, he doesn't really have any creativity. Sounds like the ideal Liverpool midfielder. Like, <laughs> Man, he might do good in Liverpool. Remember, do you remember like the thing, yeah? Do you remember that one in The Apprentice back in the day, yeah? But Alan Sugar was like, you're a man, like, I'm going to say this to a brother. And it was like, it was like a kind of like a theme of certain type of people. He's like, if I need someone to build, like to build a wall, like, I'll get you to do it, but I don't need to run my companies. Mm. And to me, that's the kind of William is. He's like, if I want a man to just like run up and down all day, yeah, William, like, yeah, fair enough. But it's like, if I want a man to like play a killer pass, like you're wasting your time, William, because you can't do it. Mm. And to me, that's that's my view on William. He's like, yeah, he's a decent squad player, but you can't expect him to have any kind of creativity because he's not a creative player. He's just a donkey. I want to come back on that so he's not a creative player thing. I think he's he's creative in the sense that he's dynamic, yeah? But he works best in a system and it just obviously doesn't fit. That's the first point. The second point, like for me, the fi- the 15 minutes or whatever that Thomas Partey was on the pitch for, he looked like the best midfielder. Yeah, but he's like, got to do he's got to do it all alone. He has to do everything alone. He's yeah. got to win the ball back. He's got to uh, drive forward. He's got to pass the ball forward. He's got to assist. He's got to score. He's got to got to then uh, then defend all the way back. He has mm. to do everything. He should be helped by someone. 
and that someone isn't Granite Shaka. Yeah, and just before we go on to Tottenham, let just Abel have a his two pence in. Ah, uh, look, I, I just have to steal the words from Yusuf and what I put in the WhatsApp news list yesterday. They they did get Mourinho. Like Mourinho gives you the the sense that he's actually playing for a draw and he's happy to take a draw and then they'll just take it away from you in a, in a, in a click. But the difference is is now they have two clinical they have two clinical world class players. So it doesn't matter how shit or ordinary Tottenham play, those two can punish you. What was it? Was it two shots on goal? Am I right? Three. Tottenham? Was it three? Okay. Three shots. All right. On so goal. three three shots on goal, two goals. Mm. You know? Yeah. Yusuf, Tottenham. Uh, I told you for the last couple of weeks, they are they are they're serious, man. They are serious. They're here. Mourinho's Mourinho's back. And in Kane and Son, you've got possibly the best double act in world football. Um, I can't think of any more that are as dynamic and as destructive as these two. Really? Abel, yeah. would you agree with that best double act? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, it's quite, it's quite a, you know, quite a claim to make. But I don't know. I, I, wouldn't, I, would, I wouldn't go as far as that because it's only this season. How, how long has it been? How many games has it been? Nine or ten? So, I don't know. But they look, listen, they are clinical. They are absolutely clinical, the two. Yeah. I don't I think know. Need, like, I think they need to win something before we start proclaiming them. Yeah, I, I, I'm with Mac on this, actually. I feel like you have to give Mourinho credit because he has turned things around, but it's a bit early. Do you see what I mean? But um, do you know what? In the past as well, though, you know, with Mourinho as well, yeah, you can also say, like, if he inherited players like Son and Kane, people say, oh, he's going to ruin them. But if anything, yeah, exactly. He's actually, exactly. he's actually, he's actually turned Kane into a better player. Even yeah. Ndombele, yeah, he yeah. had a row with him and it didn't start off well, and he's now getting the best out of him to a certain extent. But isn't um, this Mourinho's blueprint though, in a sense that he always does well with players that haven't won anything, like players that are like hungry? Kind of Mourinho has in the steep because he's a winner, and they're not. It's when he yeah. goes to have players, the whole, the, players that he doesn't the whole, do as well. The whole Man United team he and Eric had never won anything. <laughs> no, but like Pogba's yeah. a World Cup winner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, back to back to Mourinho. You know what? I'm I'm looking forward to, and I hope this happens. Mourinho versus Klopp. Yeah, I was thinking that. Because imagine, you know, we haven't seen that sort of <sighs> dickhead Mourinho in a while. And, and Klopp... you know what? And I was, I was thinking as well, like he could absolutely rattle Klopp as well. Oh, of course he would. He would. Klopp, Klopp is on the yeah. edge. Klopp, yeah. is, Klopp is at home, like sipping on whiskey with a gun to his head at the moment. The way how he's on edge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thing exactly. is, I mean, I disagree. Actually, I disagree. I don't think he he will be able to rattle Klopp as much as he probably thinks. Um, no. And, do you know and what? Every, everyone at the moment, last couple mm. years, wants to be Klopp's best mate because he's this charming German who come over and he makes all the journalists laugh. Mourinho mm. doesn't give a fuck about that. Every hero needs a villain, yeah. Yeah. And this is this Adrian. is <laughs> this is gonna be this should be Klopp's villain. This should be the moment they they lock horns. Uh, they come. This this should be know. it. Mourinho's I want to see it, man. Play eight at the back. <laughs> We're gonna have Thiago at that point. It's not even gonna matter if Mourinho's on the pitch. 
they're gonna he's gonna be able to sort of pick balls and it's gonna be finished. Like I don't think if you've noticed, yeah, the 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 rivalry in that sense has moved on from that old school, you know, um, kind of aggro type thing to very very subtle slight digs and very very subtle put pressure nah, but on Mar- them. But Mar- Mourinho never moves on from that. Yeah, look, what did he say? He's a scum. Oh, we are the pony racing against the thoroughbreds. He's he's learned. He's trying it. He cut like mm. Klopp never really rises to that, you know. Especially not from a uh, a close rival. I mean, he's he's enjoying having a dig at Chris Wilder now, like every single week. Yeah, um, but like it's not really Klopp's. I think mo. If you see what I mean, even against um, uh, Guardiola when it got really heated. The most like aggressive barbs they exchanged at Liv- Liverpool and Man City were, oh, and um, uh, I think Guardiola said something like Mo Salah always goes down, and uh, Klopp said uh, Fernandinho loves a tactical foul, and then they just both both basically apologized to each other and said no 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 that's not you know that's not true, and they they went back to sort of being nice because what what happens is that motivates the players in the team. Or at least in the Liverpool and Man City team, they'll just get motivated by it. If if Mourinho starts running his mouth, like it'll just motivate the players more. So it doesn't really make sense. Nah, but uh, I tell I, you, Klopp, Klopp hasn't seen anything like Mourinho before. He hasn't. I mean, yeah. This this like I said, he, this is the villain. Every hero needs yeah. a villain, and this season, I, I hope and I pray Mourinho reverts back to type, reverts back to that eye gouging. Sort of throwing everyone on the bus, burning he, everything he, down. Mourinho, he's king antagonist, man. Yes, I mean, I you're talking about Klopp and Guardiola. You're talking about like two half decent individuals. Mm-hmm. Like, Mourinho doesn't have like a modicum of decency. So yeah. it's like, but the thing is, yeah. but the thing is, Mourinho, he needs like a grounding to be able to do that in his prime. Like he needs to be top dog. Do you see what I mean? Tottenham are doing well. Yeah. But they're not doing so well that like people are going to be fearful of him in that sense. Like I think it's a bit. Go on, Yusuf. He's always needed to be un- the underdog at Porto against yeah. the European elite in Chelsea. Yeah. Chelsea, even though they had Abramovich's billions, he the narrative was you know little Chelsea at Inter yeah. Milan yeah. who hadn't won anything in decades. He galvanised yeah. them. Even at, he yeah. made Real, he made Real Madrid underdogs. Exactly, he's a, he's a bullshitter. There's only been one time in which he was the underdog, and it wasn't even he wasn't even the underdog domestically, right? He likes to tweak the narrative to suit him, and he he's never he, no like when he's the underdog. As a matter of fact, all he does is have rows with his players, destroy careers, yeah, like Luke Shaw and the rest of them, and it's because he's not a good man manager. Like he can only do it when things are going well. Did any, um, any of you guys watch Fingo? Sorry, but did any of you guys watch that do- documentary about Spurs and Amazon? Yeah. Because I, I, heard a lot of it, yeah. I heard a lot of his perceptions have changed and really after watching that and they're a lot more positive on him. Um, he, yeah. sort, he sort of styled himself now as a sort of man of the world. He's on Instagram. He's, <laughs> he's, he's on every single advert if you turn on like yeah. YouTube. Um, like 365. He's, he's everywhere. Um, but, but why what, though? It's because he knows he's in the last chance saloon. He's not getting another big job unless he behaves himself, unless he does something reasonable. Yeah. But but you know what though? when you see that when you see that documentary, and then you put that together with the fact that 
Danny Rose can't get a game. Deli Ali can't get a game. Now you actually see it from Mourinho's point of view. You don't see that documentary and you see him dropping two high-profile players. You think, this guy's a wanker. He's, he's, bigger than, he's bigger than everyone else. So that kind of, that, that documentary contextualizes his decisions. Okay, cool. All right. Moving on to um, Liverpool Wolves. Uh, Abel, you seem to have some strong views on this. I think that the scoreline flattered to deceive. You think it was some sort of statement victory. No, what, what I'm saying is, what I, was, what I meant to say was that, like, Wolves is a team that every all the other 18 teams in the league will struggle against. Yeah? 19. They'll struggle against. No, Liverpool are the 19th. <laughs> Wolves oh, themselves. The only, yeah. That's well, why you're Wolves themselves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, all the other 18 teams will struggle against. A team who's well-organised, okay, can play on the counter-attack. Um, but then you have Liverpool. Liverpool who, despite all the injuries that they have, can still steamroller anyone. Okay, that's the only reason why I said that because everyone else will be like licking their wounds. Oh, look at us, we got so many injuries. But no, not Liverpool. They don't give a fuck. They'll just beat them. They'll beat anyone. Mm. The, the, fact, the fact that they've got these injuries has only made the Premier League that bit more competitive. That's it. You make him sound, you make Liverpool sound like the dad, like the abusive dad of their children, like. Just beat them or beat anyone. <laughs> they will, though. It doesn't matter. Look, look at that couple of weeks back. Leicester. Leicester is supposed to be a decent team. They whooped them. If we had not spankings like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I think there's a bit of over-egging here. What do you think, Yusuf? I ditto everything Abel says. Because <laughs> I'm telling you, man, Liverpool are fucking animals. Animals. They don't give yeah? a shit. They don't give a shit, Liverpool. Abel, I didn't watch the match, yeah? But did I, I. No, but, you know, because, you, know, you know, when you... I know Elmo watched the match, and Elmo was, is going to wax lyrical about all the little nuances, how Fabinho passed the ball to Annie Robertson when he should have passed it forward and etc. But when you just look at the scoreline, 4-0 against Wolves. You said that, though, but they, but they drew with Brighton, so they're obviously, like, they're not... Like, obviously, they're a great team, but they're not, like... They're not, like... Um, they're not like winning every game, do you get what I mean? Fair exactly, enough. that's my point. Okay, yeah. sorry, okay, but yeah, at Anfield, they've won, last week. at Anfield, they've won 31 out of 32 games. They are whooping teams at Anfield, yeah, against Brighton. Yeah, Brighton, Brighton did have the asterisks next to it, you know, the penalty, uh, the fact that Liverpool were missing, I think, literally eight players. But I know they, they had the Champions League game, the Champions League game, like two days before as well. Yeah, yeah, I think, um. I mean, I, I I think it's a bit over the top. But there's one thing I will agree with Avalon that I didn't sort of think about before. And that's the all of the injuries given a chance for young players to kind of seize the moment. And um, Kevin, the Irish Kevin, Queevin, yeah. That's not cool, Yusuf. That's not sort of diversity. When I saw um, his name, when I saw his name, I thought it was pronounced Chowmain, not realizing he was Irish. So apologies to all, all our Irish listeners. Yeah, his name and is pronounced uh, Quevin. Yeah, Quevin. And and so I, like that that has transpired to be true so far. Even yesterday's game, he actually made some really really good saves. His distribution. I, looked... So how come he's playing? Is is Adrian injured? 
No. <laughs> Finally, Klopp's made a good decision. It's about time he earned some money. Um, yeah, but do you know what? The I reckon this should... I don't think I don't, but I don't think Liverpool have let the injury set the narrative. No, no, it's like, yeah, like now there's oh, there's nine first teamers out. Yeah, and you're right, but there's only so much you can do with that. Do, do you know what I mean? Well, so, yeah, like win four nil. <laughs> no, but I get like it wasn't a four nil game. Do you know what I mean? Like it wasn't. Like the, the thing is, I don't know if this we would still be where we are if those injuries came up top. They've come in the middle and at the back. Yeah, and so I uh, I don't know, but basically the draw against. Um, Brighton, the loss against Villa, there are there are clear signs in there that some it's not all rosy and sort of sweetness and light at Anfield, and that's because combination of injuries and some like really terrible players. Um, but in any case, I don't feel like it's um, uh, it's Liverpool's league the way you kind of describe it, Abel. Um, I think it's a lot closer. No, um, no, 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 no. So I, I'm not. No, Liverpool are going to win the league, right? They're going to win it, yeah. But the fact that they've got the injuries has just made it a bit more competitive. Uh, shall we move on to um, move on to yeah, United, West Ham? Yes, we shall move on. Yusuf, I am chairing this, so just you know, wave your hand or do whatever it is that you're doing, and don't disrupt me, please. Um, that provides a nice segue, Yusuf. Um, and let's start off with Matt, who uh, managed to make time from his busy corporate career to have all. I look at all the goals. Yeah, I mean, they're three great goals. Really, really good goals. I mean, I was really impressed by, like, Greenwood's finish in particular. Like, the left foot, like, that was really, really sweet. Rashford is a decent finish. Pogba's goal was really excellent. So, yeah, I thought it was just, like, really free. You really get a match where you see three such well-taken goals. And, yeah, what? I was impressed by the finishing. Greenwood's goal, who did that remind you of? Um, so, someone said Robin Van Persie. I wouldn't put it on that level, but I'd definitely say that was a very impressive finish. But it's it's Van Persie-esque, isn't it? Um I can't I can't say that now. Not yet. It didn't remind me, it didn't the technique didn't remind me of Van Persie's technique. Because like, it actually didn't remind me of it. It seemed mm. to, I don't know. I wouldn't see it in that way, but yeah, mm. yeah, I mean Van Persie would be proud of that finish, it's quality. Yeah. You said Van Persie-esque or um <sighs> Sort of. Van Persie was more was more like fluid. It was almost like Van Persie done everything in one motion. But this, you yeah. know, how old is this kid? 17? 18? 19. 19. 19. 19. If, if he's doing that now, then God knows how good he'll be in the future. Abel, what's your take on the match? The take is Man United are a big bunch of fraudsters because there's no way they should be winning that match and then there's no way Man United should be two points behind the top of the table with a game if they win their game in hand there's no way absolute forces I know Yusuf might have mentioned that it could have been down to Solskjaer substitutions I'll tell you something now I don't think it was because at the beginning of the second half Solskjaer made those substitutions and West Ham still looked like they were more threatening it was only until Martial come off that Man United actually started looking a lot more fluid Nothing. Yeah, Any, everything that got put up to Martial did not stick. Okay, his yeah. hold-up play was atrocious. Like deploying him as a number nine is 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 not working. 
He's not been. He. I, I don't. I think he's only scored like one or two goals this season. Did it, Marsha, come off against uh, Southampton for Cavani? Uh, if I, that's I the case, I... if that's the case, see, you know, you're you could be right. He could be the issue. But I do, I do think <clears throat> Solskjaer, who was, you know, the archetypal super sub, it's no coincidence that his substitutions are changing football matches. You saw it against RB Leipzig. You saw it against Southampton. There's probably other examples, but and you, but you saw it again against a very difficult to beat West Ham team. Mm, no, nah, I disagree. I dis- I disagree with that because if you look just one game before that against PSG, like the substitutions he made, like he was just left up top with Mason Greenwood. He took off all his recognised forwards mm. yeah, against against PSG. This the the substitution that he made was a forced one. That got the team playing fluid again. Martial gets injured. One matter comes on. Why do you right? seem so reluctant to play matter? He reluctant I, again. Matter, matter. The thing is, matter has no fast twitch fibers at all. <laughs> he is. That's the problem. Matter is on dialer. Yeah, yeah. Put it that way. He, DSL. The geezer is an intelligent footballer. Don't get me wrong, yeah, but he just doesn't have the legs to cover the pitch. So that that. That uh, through ball that he plays outstanding, he plays it because he does it on one touch. So, Abel, the question yeah. is, how is how am I United or how is Solskjaer doing this? You said they're a fourth team, but win the game in hand, they're two points off the top of the league. If they beat uh, RB Leipzig this week, they're into the last 16 of the Champions League. If May United or this just this dysfunctional mess, how are they there? They should be way, you know, the way you're describing them. I'm thinking you're they're thinking of Arsenal. They'll, by December, you will see Bruno Fernandes in a wheelchair because he is carrying this team single-handedly. Abel, we're kind of in December right now. Oh, right. Well, okay. So, all right. Yeah, December the worse than there are 18 teams, yeah, but like Wolves can't play. But listen, the guy, the guy is single-handedly carrying this team. Hmm. At the moment, yeah. like you, the thing is, like the, we go back to the point that Elmo's made so many times. There isn't a direct style of play. There isn't. Okay, but at least you know when Bruno gets hold of the ball, something is likely to happen. Whether it be an assist, whether it be in a goal, or whether it be a goal. Yeah, okay, he forces he, a certain type of play as well. That's why I think he's um he's successful. Like mm. you know, broadly, broadly speaking, um. But just uh, sort of not to cut anybody off, just to rattle through some of the uh, other games. Um, uh, Yusuf, I'll, I've got a question for you. Sheffield United, Leicester. Should Egan have done to Vardy what Vardy did to the flag? Just before he went <laughs> well, where he broke up the corner flag. Yeah, that was. Should he have two-footed Vardy in that way when he was going through? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I would love to see that because. Even though I think we all we all in agreement here that we love Jamie Vardy, I think we would love it even more if someone just absolutely fucked him up, crunched him. And Abel, is that not their DNA? Is that not what they do? Like, why would Who's you they? not crunch Sheffield United? Egan right, and those yeah, ones. Okay. This is what this is their bread and butter. No, I, I think you're giving a disservice to Sheffield United here, Abel. They're not a, they're not that type of team. You saw it last Get season. Out of it. Egan's already been sent off once or twice this year. Like, no, do but, it for a but, good but, reason this time. I'll be honest though. Any defender with any sort of defensive pride takes him down. Exactly. <laughs> takes him down. 
<laughs> takes him down. Unless you're Aaron Wan-Bissaka, who could overtake his midfielder to make a recovery tackle. <laughs> That's it. And even then, you should take him down. Yeah. Here's, here's a question. I spoke about how Man United doing this. How are Leicester third in the league? Didn't they lose like a whole bunch of games very recently? And they've got half their defence out. But somehow, they're third in the league. They really, really don't, they don't draw games. It might be that. Yeah, they don't draw, do they? Yeah. yeah. They don't so open this. Like, basically, if you go on, like, a three or four game run, you can totally change your fortunes. Yeah. Agree. And that's what Tottenham have done. They've gone, like, on a four game run where they've won four games and not conceded a goal. And then all of a sudden, like, they, they're the best team. Uh, City, you're going to... Sorry, just to add as well, just to add as well, Arsenal are seven points off from the relegation zone, but also eight points off from the top of the table. Oh, wow. can, can, can we not keep mentioning Arsenal's travails, please? Mm. Not talking okay. about relegation threatened teams yet. <laughs> Speaking of relegation threatened teams, Burnley won, Everton won. It's a bit of a come down for Carlo, isn't it? Um, Do you think uh, um, Van Dyke's people jujued them? <laughs> I think that's I think that's the only correct thing you've said since we started this podcast. Because I remember you saying ever since the Moosai Derby, Everton have not got into any type of form. I I think you juju them. I did, I did. I did um I think Everton Football Club, yeah. As a football club, see the psychiatrist after like or before the Liverpool game in relation to the impact it has on them. Because, like, it's ridiculous. How how can one game have such an impact on you year after year after year? There's something in the DNA of the club. It doesn't matter. Well, what do you awesome. mean by impact? What do you... <laughs> like, every single time the Merseyside Dove, they're just like, they cannot win the game. And now, as you said, they just spiral downwards like, afterwards. Yeah. Do you know what was funny? I saw the, um after the game, and by the way, the game that we should have won, like, I don't know what VAR what the hell was doing. Anyway, did you see the interview with Calvert-Lewin? You should start. We thought it was our time. Like you thought they were. I thought it was yeah, it's a psychological thing, wasn't it? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> we thought it was our time. This is like, what do you mean? You thought it was your time? Hey, it's a fucking game. B, you should have clearly lost that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why do you have such a hang up over this? They're definitely, they're definitely in their own minds. It's like, it's like Arsenal. Yeah. There's certain men who always score against Arsenal. Yeah. Like, Jogba and Kane is a new Jogba. It doesn't matter who plays for Arsenal. Yeah. Like they will score against him, and it's a thing with like they basically when they play against the club, yeah, they think they're like they own the club, they just have no respect. It's like Liverpool and Everton, yeah. Everton, they don't, there's a psychological thing they've got with Liverpool, and it, it has to take a real toll on them. It, it, like the it was like Suarez, when it like Suarez and Norwich, every time he scored, he, he scored a hat trick <laughs> of hat tricks. Yeah. Also, he said he gets to keep Cara Road. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. But yeah, Everton are just on a, like a massive downer. Um, some people are criticising them. Um, they're saying they're comparing Hamish to Ozil and saying all of a sudden now he's a luxury player and he's not sort of running the tracking back. Um, Wasn't he always that though? When they bought Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, he was. Like, but now, now, now they only, you only sing when you're winning. Exactly. Populist opinion, right? Now he's um, James. Moving on. West Brom 1, Crystal Palace 5. Mac. Billich. Is he a fraud? 
Um, Bilic is one of them guys, yeah. He'll get a lot of time. He has that clock type personality. Like he's coming across as kind of like rugged. Do you get what I mean? Kind of like some rock star kind of guy. So like because of media, the media like that kind of personality. We'll probably get a bit more time than otherwise. Think all fluff, all fluff and no niggas, yeah. yeah. He was likable as a player. He was likable as a player too. What? Other than other than when he's trying to get man sent off in the World Cup semi final. <laughs> when he played in the Premier League for West Ham, and Everton. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think he's one of them guys. Like, he's one of them guys. who's probably simply a motivator. I don't know about his tactical nous. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I've done quite a big U-turn on him. Actually, I thought he was going to be quite sort of good, even, even though it is his second stint. Because I like the kind of high, high, high speed sort of type football approach he has, but. He just seems to be like losing the plot and it's another sending off. And what you're seeing now is his teams just tend to capitulate. I, I honestly think half the players you spoke of have retired. Um, <laughs> that's the thing. They're a bunch of championship players and they're going to go back down to the championship. You mean like Norwich? Like yeah. Norwich, like uh, Fulham. This, Even this... Arsenal might, Arsenal might take one of their places. Oh, don't, don't you start there, Mac. Yeah, eight, <laughs> eight points from the top of the Premier League. I used to be, if you ask me to name any Arsenal players right now, I'd struggle as well, to be fair. Yeah. Eight <laughs> points from the top. Come on. <laughs> Moving on to Man City. Yusuf, is there anything more to say apart from this is a BAU performance? KDB is taking this shit to another level. Um, and he might take them all the way to the top of the league. The only thing I got is a routine. They beat them 2 0. Nothing happened. Yeah. Here's the question, though. Do you, do you see Man City finishing top four? Yes. I do. Definitely. I don't know. I don't know. I've got my doubts. I do. Who's your top four, then? I don't know. I, I can name you who I think is better than them. Who do you think is better than them? I think Leicester are more of a settled team than them. Tottenham are more of a settled team than them. Liverpool, Chelsea... I don't, I, I don't want to say Man United is better than them, but they're more of a settled team than them as well. So there's probably like five, five or six that I've named there already. Okay, like, interesting. I, I, just, I don't think Man City can, can go on a sustained run of games where they'll win. They're all, I think they're going to drop games every third or fourth game. I think this is the second time they've won... I think, no, the first time they've won consecutive matches in Premier League. So you, you, you could be onto something there. But also, uh, I would put Arsenal in that bracket of teams that are all settled. The Man City. Arsenal are not settled. No way. Oh, give me something, man. <laughs> give me something you know, at least. Ain't, you ain't getting nothing, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I disagree. I think they're going to... They're well up there to win it. I actually think it's a three-horse race. Uh, win what? The, the league. Yeah, no yeah. No way. Oh, Elmo, Elmo. What are you smoking? There's no way. That's yeah, no, there's that, no way. That's Suarez joint. Um, no, I think I think I think it's a three-horse race. And actually, the third horse, Chelsea, that had that was built up to be quite a lively game. First half was great. That through ball is unreal. That that ball to uh, for Bamford, unreal. Yeah. And he's not he's not even he's not left footed, is he, Calvin Phillips? No. 
No. No. That, the Bendy's put on that. I don't know what to make of him, man. I don't know if I, if I should just, like, believe the hype and just give in or just be, a, a, like, a douchebag and just continue to question it. I genuinely don't know. Um, what do you guys think? As everyone, as everyone, all the players that he's played against, have they given him the respect to, like, actually close him down a lot quicker? Because every time he sprays a ball, he looks like he's got so much time. Not Liverpool, and um, he destroyed them, basically. But I don't know. Has he been called up to the England squad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's played twice, I think, already. Okay. Hmm. See, I, I think it's it's a bit of both, but also the way Leeds play because they're they're always moving, and then they're not they're moving in like untraditional, unconventional ways that he's difficult to pick up because he picked up the ball what, on the touchline. You don't expect him to be there. Did he pick it up? Was it like an interception and play it first time? Yeah, but the point is, he shouldn't have been there, really. You know, what, what, why is he in the in the in the winger spot? He's sent sent yeah, him. But his distribution is brilliant, though. Oh, it's like, phenomenal. His distribution. Yeah. When once he gets his head up, it's it's game over, man. Yeah. Again, like the tight, the, the the weight of the pass, even with his wrong foot as well. Yeah. That's what makes the goal. It makes that's what makes the keeper commit. Yeah, and Mendy, Mendy hasn't put a foot wrong. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of Chelsea, what do you guys think? For me, probably the winners. They're gonna win, they're gonna the, league. win the league. Mm. See, I don't nah, know. I, I don't know. There's, there's something. Yet. There's an element. Is an element missing? I don't know what it is. But they still have to unlock. They still have to unlock. What's his name? Werner. Havertz and Havertz. Yeah, that's my thing. Yeah, yeah. Havertz is a. I, I'm and I said this at the very beginning. Like he doesn't seem like the player that's going to fit into that system. I don't know why they bought him, unless they sort yeah, of change stuff. Around. My mm-hmm. thing is about Werner. To me, they can't unlock. To me, when it comes down to it, yeah, do they have a clinical striker that can rely on when they get one chance in the game? Because as good as Drew has been, that's not Drew, and obviously that's not Tammy either. And to me, it's like when it comes to those crunch games where you're getting one chance or not, do you have that striker that you can rely on? To me, unless they have that, I mean, Werner proves to be that. And they've got a chance. They, if he doesn't, then I don't think they do. I think it's Pulisic. See, Pulisic, Pulisic is a good yeah. in, the, in those big games. He's a big game player and he's clinical. Um, and yeah, he's not a striker. Yeah. I mean, like a number nine, though, isn't it? Yeah, but I don't even think they need that. Like, Werner's best position is probably off the left. Like, But this is why the whole... Havertz thing doesn't really sort of make too much sense. Um, no, but also me, as away from a main striker, they've got so many attacking players. Yeah. Like, yeah. All the attacking players in the world, but and also they they're scoring so many goals from set pieces. They've mm. got the highest and, amount of set piece goals in the league, and they get, they get contributions from both fullbacks. I think they, this is a team which is chock full of goals but I just still yeah. think there is something missing that will stop them winning the league this season yeah I'm trying to think what do you worse what do you worse I mean Lampard or Mourinho in the league bloody hell I had to think about that Matt this has been a very depressing podcast for us hasn't it but what, what's, yeah, what's but the what's, beef with Lampard yeah what's so bad if Lampard wins it I can't stand Lampard I'm never going to stand Lampard that's why he's telling his players not to kneel um, yeah, I, I think they're just well stocked in all their full back areas, their centre backs, um, sh- loads of midfielders. Unless they get some really horrific injuries, but I, I think they're going to go pretty far. Uh, but yeah, any 
final thoughts, Yusuf, given that how you like to hog um, the mic? I have no final thoughts. Oh, I just want to okay. say shout out to the Sampdoria kit. The new Sampdoria kit is literally the most beautiful football kit I've ever seen. Okay. Um, Away kit. No, it's the, 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 the new home kit. Go check out their match against AC Milan. They've got this gorgeous uh, half and half white and blue type kit with gold lettering. Oh, it's lovely. And is Rude Hullet still smoking the pipe for their badge? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, on that note, that was Nang. Monday night, dirt, over and out. But also follow us on Twitter at and, and, Nang Podcast. Yeah. Follow and us babe. on Twitter. Are you just going to repeat what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay, go on. Sorry. And follow us on all podcast platforms except Apple Podcast because... Yeah, because we're on a boycott. We're standing up for the man. That's Nang. Nanging out. <laughs>